1: Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Alan Scott. On today's episode, I'll be chatting with legendary writer and director, John Waters. I mean, do I even need to say that where you know him from? Because he's John Waters, yeah. But just in case, he's the mastermind behind such films as Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, Hairspray, and my personal favorite, and is apparently, I learned in our chat, Serial Mom. He's also the writer of books like Carsick, Role Models, and now his very first work of fiction, Liar Mountain*, A Feel Bad Romance. We talked about that and, of course, so much more. I mean, literally everything under the sun. It's a great chat. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. If I had to pick one director, just one, that had an insane influence on my upbringing, that director would be John Waters. The first John Waters film that I ever saw was Hairspray and it just blew me away. It was campy and funny and weird and well, everything that I was and frankly still am today. His work influenced me so much that I begged, and I'm using that word incredibly literally. Begged my stepmother to let me go audition for Crybaby because we lived in Baltimore where, you know, the film was being shot. But my stepmom had watched some of his earlier work, like Pink Flamingos, and absolutely forbid me from auditioning for it, which, frankly, I am still bitter about to this day. But that early rejection made me an even bigger fan of John Waters, particularly his creative partnership with the late drag performer Divine. I mean, The impact Divine has had on me is just, it's indescribable. But I think Waters' appeal to this day, just in general, is that he's shocking, sure, but he's also funny and he's direct, and more than anything else, he's truly an original. He proves all of this and so much more with his new book, Liarmouth, a feel-bad romance. It's his first work of fiction, which frankly surprised me. It's about Marcia Sprinkle, a professional suitcase thief, yes, You heard me right, a professional suitcase thief who is seemingly hated by everybody until one day when someone comes into her life and forces her to look at things a little bit differently. But not like you're probably thinking, because this is a John Waters novel and nothing will ever go the way you think it's going to go. (laughs) Well, John, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. I've been a huge fan of yours for years, but I bet you hear that from people all the time.
0: Well, but I've got Newsweek. I've had a subscription probably since for forty years.
1: You can check. That I mean, that's that's better. That's a better compliment than I just gave. Then, because <laughs> you actually pay for yours. I guess I am paying for your my fandom for you too, because I do own many of your movies. So Good. there's yeah. the and books too. Um, I loved, I loved, loved, loved the new book, and I have to admit, I, I don't know why, because I've read your, I've read your nonfiction work, but I just had assumed you had done. Fiction before, but this is your first novel, which kind of blew me away. Like, what inspired you? Well, to but write? think of
0: it though; all the movies are fiction. You know, you know I've written fifteen movies. Yeah, that's, so they were all stories that I thought up, and I, I actually think that marcia Sprinkle could hang out with uh, many of the feminine heroines from my movies. They could
1: all get along. For sure. Was the because pro- I, I I spoke with um Harvey Firestein a few weeks ago about his book, and he was saying that writing a script and writing long form is very different, and it's a different muscle that you have to work. Was did you did you experience that?
0: No, and I loved Harvey's book, by the way, too. But yeah, uh, no, movie. I think it was very similar to me. I think up the plot, I think up the characters, I think up the story, three acts, and uh, no, it was not different to me. It was actually. A little more freeing and liberating to me because, A, I don't have to worry about the rating of the the Motion Picture Association. I don't have to worry about the budget of how much it costs to do a scene. I don't have to worry about weather. And I also can describe the feelings of the people without having to put it in words. You can describe 50 things that happen in one sentence, Mm -hmm. where in a movie you just have to say it because it goes by so quickly. So to me, the process of writing was very much the same.
1: Interesting. What what inspired you to write this book? Then, well, where did the story come from?
0: Well, the story was at one time a little bit of the story, just that it was Marcia Sprinkle and she stole suitcases, and her partner was Daryl. Yeah, that was an idea I had for a movie a long time ago that I never even got to the level of pitching it in studios, or you know, I, nobody mm-hmm. even turned it down. Nobody heard it. Yeah, but I always have files of back stuff, and I use that and turn them into other things. So that's how this happened, and I knew. That I wanted to do a novel because I had never done one and I'm a fan of novels of course yeah. so and I've written in role models about my favorite novels so I just wanted to do something I hadn't done
1: yeah I mean I I feel like you probably have a lot of film ideas that are just sitting in an idea folder that are ready to be made no, novels not no one
0: no no not one. Nope. <laughs> uh if, if I did they either I had many that were pitched and I got development deals in Hollywood to make them and I never made them and I think I told those plots in my last book Mr Know-It-All to yeah. tell you no there is not one unrealized project that I have except uh, Fruitcake a movie that I'm still trying to get made
1: I yeah and I, I've, I've, I've heard you talk about Fruitcake I'm I, it needs to be made it needs to be made I mean <laughs> that oh but this one I, I even just in the description a suitcase thief is so funny is so weirdly specific of for a career choice for a character and well it's funny until they steal your suitcase <laughs> yeah. true true how did you come up where did that idea did that happen in life did you I mean how did you get the idea I, of know, so I met
0: one person that once to told me his girlfriend he found she had suitcases in the attic and she had stolen them and uh so that idea. But then I also was traveled a lot with my friend, Pat Moran, and mm-hmm. we were in an airport going up the escalator, leaving, and this man comes chasing after, and she accidentally did pick the wrong suitcase because they all do look alike. Yeah. So I, that gave me the idea how easy it would be to do it. And I'm always scandalized that they don't check the tags anymore. Before 9-11, they always did. They, there was someone standing there when you walked away from the carousel, they looked at your bag and your, check number on your thing they nowhere in the world do they do
1: that anymore i had a suitcase once that i don't know if it was stolen or the airline lost it delta lost it but it was i was moving from la to new york and in new york i tried to get my bag and it was gone and it had a copy of uh jennifer lewis's jackie's back a dvd copy of that that Uh I, i was obsessed with and i'm still pissed to this day that i have not gotten that piece of luggage back it probably was stolen someone really wanted Jennifer Lewis, Jackie's back or something. I don't
0: well, know. I had a bottle of a jar of La Mer stolen out of my suitcase.
1: when oh, it was checked. That's expensive.
0: You know, and don't you sometimes open your it always shocks me when you open your suitcase and there's a thing in there, a printed note saying we look through your suitcase. Blah, yes. blah, blah. Have you ever had that happen? Yes, I say, I have. how dare you look at my underpants?
1: <laughs> we, I recently was traveling and we had we had that note and it was my, my boyfriend does a lot of like drag styling and stuff. And he has these like fillers for boobs, like they're like little chicken cutlet looking things that that women have, you know, breast cancer surgery. They wear those things and he uses them in corsets and stuff. And they they left a note in our bag that had one of those breast things in it. And they must have just gotten a show because it was. Well, it's better
0: than finding a cheater. Yeah, (laughs) true, (laughs) true, Very true. His divine suitcase that I used to be with him and even the hand luggage. They would open it and look through and a big pair of giant fake tips jumping out of him. they slam it shut so quick. He could have smuggled 50 loads of heroin in there. They weren't looking anymore when they opened his suitcase and looked up at him. Uh uh-uh. They didn't want to know what was in there.
1: Go through, just go yep. through. We're not even going to check you how, yep. what I loved about Marsha is that, that your character is just all of your characters are so lovingly and awkwardly complicated in a way that like, You maybe would never want to be behind them in line at Starbucks, but you would kind of want to get to know them over coffee at another time. They would just be annoying. I don't
0: know. Marsha is pretty hard to get to know because she's stealing from you. I mean, she has to always be one one over you. She has to overload you, you know, and be in power over you and dominate you. And uh, so but I love Behavior I can't understand. So when I get to think up characters, I'm not those characters, but a little bit of me is in every one. And I when I'm writing the book, I play them in my mind. I am thinking like they think. And to me, that's like being a psychiatrist. It's like being a spy. It's like being a puppeteer. Yeah. It's it it all comes together where I can imagine the story that I'm trying to make myself laugh first. And then if I'm lucky enough, other people do.
1: It does seem like a lot of your characters are always kind of the underdog, even though they might not see themselves that way. Like, do you, do you find you respond to characters like that?
0: Well, I, and everything's reversed in my world and my, you know, the world I set up in all my movies, the heroine or hero is always usually who would be the villain in another movie. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Except the right people win in my movies. Although this one's a little more complicated because Yeah. does Marsha win and is she the right person yeah <laughs> that's yeah. debatable yeah,
1: yeah exactly it's it's you could on, on one level you could say that but also this is a love story in a really sort of pardon my French, but fucked up way. It's 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 a it's it's a really I love I love that about this book is that. Well, it's a lust story. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. But but yes, she has had a sexual trauma that is so ludicrous, though. But she has a reason to act as horrible. Actually, when you go back and it's finally revealed and the person that makes her tell the truth, Topster, because he steals from her and he does to her what she's been doing to everybody else so that's yeah. what happens maybe when you fall in love you meet your match
1: yeah yes i i really i felt that reading it totally i didn't want to give anything away but it was it was Well, i didn't give away how yeah no yeah yeah i don't I, we won't go there we won't go there but i will as i was reading the book i was thinking of because I am a big fan of your work. And I know, I mean, Serial Mom is something that I probably watch monthly. I mean, it's just, oh, it's, thank you. it's an essential That's my film. best
0: movie. That's my best movie.
1: I love it so, so much. It's a perfect film. And it, I was thinking in reading the book that a lot of your characters over all of your films are worthy of a novel treatment in some way. And I wanted to know what character to you that you've done in a film stands out that maybe could have a novel treatment like, like this novel.
0: Well, I'm not I'm not like Quentin Tarantino, who was brilliantly when he did the novelization of the last yes. movie he did, like a yeah. cheap paperback. Because I collect novelizations of movies, the yes. most despised genre there is <laughs> and the most uncollectible genre there is. I have so many obscure great ones. So, in other words, if I had to go back and do the novelization of Female Trouble or or maybe Dawn Davenport's Private Diaries uh. or, Tracy Turnblad, Sexual Awakening, you know, you could you could laugh and go through all of them.
1: I would die to hear. (laughs) I mean, I just that would that would actually probably kill me. It it does. I mean, the novelization of films, that is such a specific thing to collect. I collect the Murder, She Wrote books. I I don't Mm -hmm. because they're horrible, but it's 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 ridiculous to read them because it was just a show. And that it is a incredibly popular genre. Like, I have
0: all the sequels to Peyton Place that weren't even written by great Metallius. There's like 20 wow. of them. And that's, they're really obscure. I have all of them. And of course, Grace is my idol, Grace Metallius, yeah. that picture of her in the lumber jacket with mm-hmm. the typewriter and the greasy ponytail writing the dirtiest book that ever yes. came out of new England. What a great picture. I have a little bobblehead of her on my desk when I write. Wow. And I have a piece of wallpaper that I got from her house from the man that lives there now that hangs in my writing room.
1: <laughs> That's so amazing. I love that. Well, I in reading the book, it it is. It, I mean, because you are a filmmaker, and so it makes sense that in reading the book, it is very cinematic. And I think anyone people can't take you away from the novel because you are so much of your work. You, I see you in your work, and in uh, what I wonder is like the films that you made before, like A Pink Flamingo, Serial Mom. Do you think those films? could be made today?
0: Well, that's a good question. I mean, with political correctness and sensitivity editors and my favorite intimacy coaches, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) it would be a challenge for the intimacy coach on uh, some of the scenes. But um, I I think they weirdly could, but it would have to be a young person that came up. But you're right. It would be distributed a completely different way. It would be seen a completely different way. So it would be the opposite of everything how Pink Flamingos came out, going to one city at a time, opening in at midnight, one day a week, going to two weeks. It took us two years to go around the country into the cities Pink Flamingos played and open and nurse each one in each city. Yeah. Today, it would, you know, it would come out instantly on the art house circuit. And if it didn't make money, it would be gone. The same way, though, it's so different with a book now. This yeah. book, no matter what you think of it, hate it or love it, in the 50s, I would be arrested for this book. Yeah. You'd go to yeah. jail for this book. And uh, it's so amazing to see um, that that it's the opposite today. I mean, even my movies are—you know—Criterion's putting out Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Multiple Maniacs showed on HBO Plus. How could that be? I asked the question. <laughs> How could that be? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I I love the idea of. All my characters, Marcia's always saying, how could this be? Like, how could Uber drivers rate the customer? How yeah. could that be? Yeah. So there's there, the things that make Marsha insane would not make other people insane. But she yeah. has she's very she's very opinionated and she's very uh, stringent. She doesn't like art or music or anything because it takes away from her. Yeah. And, and she hates her own body. She hates instinct. She hates anything she has to do. And so do I. I resent that I have to take
1: a shit every day. (laughs) I know it's really it's an it's an annoyance, really. It is. It's It's really a
0: disgusting thing that you have to do once a day. And Marsha has eliminated that by only eating high wheat crackers that pellets shoot at.
1: (laughs) She reminded me, I have to say, in reading it, I'm a big fan of daytime TV and, and it's a real guilty pleasure of mine. But and, is it
0: still good daytime?
1: TV? No, it's not. Like, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible, but I still can't. It's not stop good watching horrible. It. Yeah, it's no, no, it's not good horrible. It's, it's no longer funny horrible. Um, although I will say the view, and in reading the book, I I Marsha reminds me of a younger Joy Behar.
0: <laughs> well, I've met her before. She's interviewed me before. I'd love to go on the view with this book. Yeah, it would be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? they should bring you on and talk about analingus festival
1: (laughs) joy would be into that i whoopi get it whoopi would land whoopi would definitely be into it um you brought up the intimacy coach and it was i recently did a show on the sort of rise of male nudity in television and and the use of intimacy coaches on sets on new sets what i mean i can't even imagine what an intimacy coach would do on pink flamingos like i
0: (laughs) or even on a dirty shame where All the extras had to make out with strangers for hours. And in Cry Baby, the scene where they're all French kissing, we took six hours to shoot of them take one. They're all French kissing with strangers they didn't even know. And they would break up and start laughing. And I I say this in my show that I read an article about uh, Salo, the most shocking Pasolini movie where they supposed to eat shit as chocolate. But the kids in it were underage. Can you imagine? And naked. And they said later that when he would say cut, they would Burst into hysterics laughing. They had the best time. They love Pasolini. You know, it's the same thing. They didn't need an intimacy couple there. The little girl that was in female trouble, we found her. And she said she had a great memory. She loved Divine. She had so much fun making that movie. Um, So I don't know. Everybody. And my favorite is now what they have. If there's nudity, like if you have a cunnilingus scene and you're going down on something, it's a fake vagina put over a real one. What? Yeah, that movie, the blue is the new thing. All the sex parts were fake over top real ones. So when they were having sex, it was rubber. The ones they were actually oh. performing cunnilingus on that looked completely real.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it was
0: over the real one. So it's stand in sex. I don't know. Yeah. But that seems like it would be even more embarrassing I mean, to have to. <laughs> all right. Bring out the stunt pussy. You know, I mean, that, that's what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, true, <laughs> true. I mean, I this is a question that I know everybody asks you, but I, I feel like I have to ask you it because so much of your work is kind of the opposite of what cancel culture, quote unquote, represents. I I mean, how do you think if your films came out today? Would you be worried about camp being canceled, quote unquote? Here's the thing.
0: I make fun of the rules in the outsider world, the society that I live in, no matter if it was hippies, hippie culture and politically correct culture are weirdly the same. There were rules and I made fun of those rules then, but I'm making fun of the rules that I live in. And actually, I don't hate them. I think most of the political... Correct stuff is right to a point, but the way they go about it is they don't make fun of themselves. The one thing that generation is missing, if you make fun of yourself, and yeah. I always did. Even this book is called A Feel Bad Romance. I'm making fun of writing a novel, even though I'm very serious about it. So um, would it come out today? It's hard to imagine. Um, I think it could. I think, I think uh, if it's surprising enough and enough young people discover it and like it, It will override that it will because it's joyous. It is doesn't make people feel bad. People come up to me all the time and say I saved their life. when in high school, when they saw the movies, I don't think it was bad for anybody watching those movies. I've never heard of somebody that watched it, went out and committed murder or went out and did something. I mean, people, this one girl told me that her mother after she watched Crybaby when she was 12, she saved her tears in a jar and drank them. And her mother found and sent her to a psychiatrist. So I mean, but she was just experimenting. That's a telling herself. She I was have to drinking say, her tears. Maybe if she hadn't drunk her tears, she would have been suicidal. <laughs>
1: God. Yeah, true. I when Crybaby came out, I was I'm from Baltimore originally. We with a little really kid we lived in Baltimore. I was born in Bel Air and then we lived in I forget where we lived. I was a little kid, six years old. And yeah. I knew I I didn't know of you then, but I knew that they were shooting a film called Crybaby. Someone in school had auditioned for something for Crybaby. I don't yeah, know what dance numbers. Yeah, 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 they mentioned yeah. it. And I wanted to audition so badly. But my evil, evil stepmother, who had the worst perm in the history of perms, would (laughs) not let me go because you were, quote, unquote, like, dirty. And I and of course, from that moment, I was like, well, then, of course, I love him. He is my favorite. (laughs) Oh, thank you.
0: I remember those auditions and it was kids and they all came. That's how we did Hairspray, too. It was all Mm -hmm. even in Crybaby, the scenes where Johnny Depp is dancing in the prison hall. That's not real choreographed. I mean, it's choreographed, but these were extras. They were just dancers. They weren't professional dancers or anything. Yeah. They were kids that came in and tried out for it. And we, you know, it was great to have it. It was, that's what made it so authentic. I think.
1: So it, this year is the 50th anniversary of Pink Flamingos, which is yes. kind of insane to think about. And considering how much of a cult classic it was and how much of an underground film in a lot of ways it, it was when it first came out and, you know, people kind of even even myself as a teenager trying to watch it, I had to watch it in secret so that my family didn't know. You know what I mean? It was it was that yeah. kind of film. And now just last year, it was added to the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically and uh, aesthetically significant. How, how did and you Criterion's react to putting it out, too.
0: Criterion's putting out yeah. a beautiful deluxe version. Um It is the ultimate wonderful irony, but I accept it with great flattery. And I'm amazed myself. I was completely amazed when the National Registry thing happened. But wow, how things have changed and what better sense of humor we all have. And how more accepting everybody is, people in power, than they used to be when I grew up in the 50s, which was the most unaccepting time ever. So to me, it's all progress. It's all progress.
1: Yeah. Well, my last question for you is, A couple of me and my friend group, we, of course, you know, are big fans of yours. And you had done an interview. I forget where, but you had mentioned your favorite. One of your favorite websites is a website that basically rates the interior decorating or interior decoration. Oh, that's what's that
0: called? Uh, It's all nude people in their house. (laughs) It talks about their furniture. (laughs) What is that? It's still on. It's still on.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking. I was looking for it. Is it lust for
0: its interior? It lusts for.
1: I think I have. I can find it. Yeah, I'll yeah. look it up. I'll look it up. But you had mentioned that, and it has become an obsession of my friend group to, <laughs> to talk about normal nudes and how this website it does it, lampoons it in such a fabulous way. What, what is it about normal nudes that is so funny to you? And what is it about this website? Well,
0: what it like- shocks me. And those people that are showing their self nude aroused in their houses They're not doing that to be funny or to make fun of it. They think they look good and their house looks good. But why would they do that? Don't they have jobs? What if people say, look at this, that's bill that works in the receiving department. What is he doing? Look at that! Is he crazy? Those pictures never go away either. So I'm just amazed. I guess people are a lot freer than I am because I can't imagine sending in a nude picture of myself sitting in my living room. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and not think that it might cause trouble somewhere. We relative somebody would see it. Is yeah. everybody that liberated today? Oh, isn't that nice? He did that. He looks good. <laughs> <He's> in- <laughs>
1: In the HR department. They see your messy living room and they're like, Oh, you have a subscription to people too. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. Or I love that furniture. We're like, uh, no one's looking at the furniture. I mean, the furniture is usually really horrible. So yeah. That's the other thing. Anyone that does it seems to have really bad taste in interior decoration. Maybe there's <laughs> so a correlation looks, there. Who they knows? usually look like the set of polyester. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind true. of Mediterranean furniture and hideous. Yeah.
1: It's so true. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really well, love the book. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: What's your favorite John Waters film? Let me know on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, please leave a little rating and review and maybe share it on social media. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day.